Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And when you sign up for Podgo, don't forget, Forgotten Cinema sent you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Season 5 begins! Nice. The season of the audience is going to be a good one. Because this is not a forgotten gem. Today we are doing... Mike Field's favorite movie. No, that's incorrect. How do you let some guy talk to you like that? That's, yeah, you, never once did I smile, never once did I laugh. While I watched this movie with my mouth agape, I could actually feel my soul leave my body. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. As you may know already, each episode we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. But this season, we're not picking the movies. You, the audience, have selected our films. We're going to discuss what we love, like, or maybe not like about your movie. But we thank you for sharing your passion for the film. And as always, we recommend that everyone revisits the movie we're talking about this week. You never know, you could discover your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, please let everyone know by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Beautifully done, sir. Right? Solid running. There's flora everywhere. I only serve the cantaloupe. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we are doing the 1972 72? Yeah. 72. Sci-fi classic? Silent Running. Before we get into that, Mike's going to, I guess, give us a little synopsis. But also, why don't you tell everybody who suggested this for us, Mike? All right. This film was suggested by by my mommy, everyone. It was suggested (laughs) by my mother uh, a while ago. And uh, since we're doing Audience Choice, it's an older film. And we like to pepper some older films every once in a while. Absolutely. I decided, eh, why the hell not? (laughs) <laughs> it also seemed like an interesting plot synopsis when she was telling me about it. Yes. I had seen parts of this movie. I hadn't seen all of it. I never, I actually never saw the ending, but I had seen probably like 45 minutes of the movie. So I was aware of it. Oh, see, I had never seen anything. Oh either. yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was definitely aware of it. I think I honestly, I probably just saw the beginning. Uh, Cause I remember them driving around in those stupid carts and, and all that stuff. So, so yeah. So I remember that. But anyways, why don't we ask, Mommy Butler, <laughs> why she chose this movie or why she thinks it was forgotten. Hold Ta- on, I, can, I can get her. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, Ma! Ma! <laughs> what you think of this movie? Hi, guys. This is Barbara Butler here. Mike Butler's mom. Uh, Mike and Mike, thank you for picking my film for your audience choice of Silent Running for your season five 
And I just am very excited about telling you about Silent Running. I hope you watched it with a good heart in mind because I know it was made in 72 and I was 17 years old at the time. And it was one of the movies that I watched and I love sci-fi and it made a great impression on me. This is way before Star Wars, like five years before Star Wars came out. And I even bought a black and white TV to take to college with me that summer because I wanted to watch it again if it ever came out on reruns and it never did. But so be it. It still holds a place in my heart. I still remember it. I remember everything about it. Not a big cast, not a big budget, really bad music. And you're going to knock that. And I know that. In the meantime, knowing that I just told you all of that, I hope you give it a good review. It's got three characters. Only one kind of makes it through the first half hour. <laughs> but there are other characters in there who aren't quite human who make the movie with him. And it turns out to be a very poignant movie with a very good point to it. And in the hippie days, which this was filmed in, it made a difference. And it made Booster become very famous because it was that important at the time. Was it forgotten? Yes, because all of you guys are too young to remember. You don't remember these movies. So it was 72. I was 17. So it's a long time ago. Long, long time ago. But it was a science fiction movie. Um, I know you've guys watched the original War of the Worlds. I know you've watched Forbidden Planet. I know you watched all of those movies and they were great. But this one is different, doesn't have the big budget effects or anything, but it was great in its own context. So have a good time. Okay. And thanks once again. Love you guys. Bye. All right. All right. right. Excellent. Excellent points that you have made that we have not heard yet for another 10 weeks. Thanks, Ma. I'll be by later to pick up lasagna. All right. So tell everyone what Silent Rang's about. All right. This uh, synopsis is coming straight to you from Gary KMCD from IMDb. Woo! Seems like an okay storyline, but let's read it and find out. In a future Earth barren of all flora and fauna, the planet's ecosystems exist only in large pods attached to spacecraft. When word comes in that the pods are to be jettisoned into space and destroyed, most of the crew of the Valley Forge rejoice at the prospect of going home. Not so for botanist Freeman Lowell, who loves the forest and its creatures. He kills his colleagues taking the ship into deep space, alone on the craft with his only companions being three small robots Lowell revels in the joys of nature. When colleagues appear to rescue him, he realizes he has only one option available to him. Yeah. 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 Like most of the crew, there's three other people on the ship. Most of the crew. Three guys. Yeah. I, I, I know we talked about this briefly before we were going to talk about it, obviously on the air, quote unquote. And you had mentioned that you had, you liked it. But you had a lot of negatives written down. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's but it's it's also tough when you're doing a movie that takes place in 1972. True. Because. True. Uh, well, let's let's, let's break, break down the cast. Yeah, let me let me get in. Let me get into some facts and then we'll we'll go into that. So the, obviously, uh, as we've told you, the movie was silent running. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it has a runtime of 89 minutes rated G, which we'll get into for murder <laughs> <laughs> production budget of one million dollars. I have no information for opening weekend on domestic simply because I think the movie was so old that that stuff they didn't track. Mm-hmm. But I did find a worldwide. So a total what it made, which was six hundred eighty nine thousand dollars. I did find that amount. So that did not make it. No, it did not. <laughs> it was released on March 10th, 1972, a Friday by uh, Universal Pictures, who's also the production company. 
So again, that year, since it, it, it honestly didn't have, I guess, competition or I, nothing was listed. So I'm just giving you some big movies that were released that same year, kind of around the same time. You had on March 15th, so which was the Wednesday, I believe. And then you had The Godfather and a limited release, but then it came out a week later. So basically, this is the first Godfather that came out, which probably everyone went to see. Oh, yeah. You also had What's Up, Doc, that same day. On June 14th, which was obviously a couple months later, you had Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. I put that in there for you. Thanks, man. And then uh, on before a month before this movie came out, so February 2nd, you had Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. So, you know. Some 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 big movies in 1972, mm-hmm. directed by Douglas Trumbull. This is actually his directorial debut. He is more he's more notably known as a visual effects pioneer. He was nominated for Oscar for Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Blade Runner and the original Star Trek movie, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. He also worked on 2001, which you will talk about that a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was second unit director on Star Trek. This was his first directorial directed movie. Um, he's he was awarded the Gordon Sayer Award. It's an Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences for an individual in the motion picture industry whose technological contributions have brought credit to the industry. So he's a big deal, but he's a big deal in visual effects. Right. Yeah. Um, he also directed the Back to the Future, the ride. That is I saw that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, written by so written by Derek Washington and Michael Semino or Camino. I always say his name wrong. Uh, they wrote this together. They were nominated for their writing for the deer hunter uh watching also wrote extreme prejudice and the border uh i'm gonna say his name wrong again Tamino uh actually won the oscar for director for the deer hunter and it won best picture as well so he was producer on that um the deer hunter stars robert de niro christopher walken uh, amongst others meryl streep for those who don't know it's a really uh it's It's an uplifting picture it it is is absolutely (laughs) um if if you've ever seen the movie uh hot shots part do uh they don't they do that scene they do they do yeah okay anyways uh, he also wrote uh magnum force that's the first dirty harry movie oh is it the first i thought the second one okay but this also had a touch-up by steven bochco and steven bochco is big time or was big time in the uh, television industry did hill street blues nypd blue doogie hauser la law amongst a bunch of bunch of other movies credits shows excuse me yeah Yeah, no he's uh he passed away a couple years ago but he's a big time uh big time tv writer big time show creator i should say very much in terms of like law and crime of course yeah yeah. well i mean nypd blue and hill street blues is basically that's all him Uh, cinematography by charles wheeler he was nominated for an Oscar for Tora, Tora, Tora. If you if you've seen that, I have seen yeah, that. Yeah, that's a very good movie. Uh, the original Freaky Friday, and he also did additional photography on Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Composer Peter Shekel, Shekel, Shekel. I could barely spell it, let alone say. I know he is actually known for doing uh, classical parodies under the name PDQ Bach. If you go to Shekel.com, S C H I C K E L E dot com, you can actually see all his work there. Um, that's his biggest. That's what he's known for primarily. Edited by Aaron Stell. He did edited movies, uh, The To Kill a Mockingbird, Touch of Evil, and The Gallant One. He actually directed The Gallant One as well. And produced by Michael Kruskoff. He's produced Young Frankenstein, Pink Cadillac, and Prelude to a Kiss, to name just a few. Uh, Bruce Dern plays our leading man, Freeman Lowell, which I don't think I've ever seen Bruce Dern play a good character, like a, a good guy. He plays, I've seen him play okay guys. I've seen him play normal guys. What? What movie? Uh, Nebraska. Uh, yeah, Nebraska. He's a cantankerous. Stuff, he's a cantankerous old man in like, Nebraska. But he's not a bad. I would call him a villain. I've seen him play like dads and stuff. Okay, but well, yeah, 
Speaking of Nebraska, he was nominated for an Oscar for that. Also for coming home, he's in the Burbs, which is our very first episode. He's, he's not a villain in Burbs. He's not. Well, he's not exactly uh, sane. That's true. Um, so, like I said, I like to give a shout out to the episodes we've done before. Mike Burbs is our first episode. Burbs is a very good episode. It is. He's also in the Hateful Eight, and I've always keep, I keep bringing this up. He's in Digs Time, which I think we should do on the show because uh, that's a movie that's not talked about enough. You do have that on the list. Yes. Yes, I do. Cliff Potts plays John Keenan. He is from Sahara and sometimes a great notion. Ron Rifkin as Marty Baker. If fans of Alias, a TV show will know Ron Rifkin. He's also the uh, DA who gets thrown out the window in LA Confidential. He's in Manhattan Murder Mystery and a movie that I remember watching when I was a kid called Kidco, where it was about kids who made money selling manure. It was a 1984 movie. I've always remembered that movie. Sounds fun. It's okay. <laughs> Jesse Vint as Andy Wolf from Earthquake, Forbidden World, and the TV show, or the, excuse me, the soap opera, One Life to Live. Um, and that is it. I'm not going to even get there's voice actors that you hear from the other ships and, and stuff like that. So I think this movie, uh, we were talking about it a little bit in terms of the negatives and stuff like that. This is definitely a movie that's of the time, especially when you have two songs by Joan Baez in there, Silent Running right. and Rejoice in the Sun. As soon as I heard it 15 minutes in and I just heard her singing, I was like, oh, boy, this is <laughs> this is uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid all over again. So they only had. One moment of that, though. I well, they, yeah, and plus it's a famous song. So, yeah. You know, every, everyone's <laughs> heard that song before, which is fine. It just kind of, to me, it always breaks up the movie. And what I'm talking about is when in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid towards the end, Paul Newman goes on a bike ride with the, um, I can't remember her name. Teacher. Yeah. And they start playing uh, Raindrops Are Falling on My Head. And it's just, it's so, to me, it's so out of place. But it's, that's kind of a staple of the 70s and i know this is kind of late 60s early 70s so that's kind of coming in yeah i'll say in butch cassidy it kind of establishes butch and sundance is kind of like they do the robberies but they're like the happy-go-lucky kind of people mm -hmm. and you know it, it establishes why even after they disappeared but no totally didn't die <laughs> <laughs> uh she was still in love with them and stuff mm -hmm. like that so it even though it's cheesy and it could be done a little differently it at least served the story Whereas in here, I don't really think it serves anything. I don't think it serves anything other than to be really hippie and like just put it in there because it's the time. I just think that uh, it, it you know, get us some views. <laughs> no, I, I maybe maybe people will watch it because Joe Baez is is part of it. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, I understand that, but cinematically, it always pulls me out. It always oh, pulls me yeah. out, and and maybe that's just because I'm watching it forty, fifty years earlier. Later, excuse me. For so sure. yeah, so that's that's probably one of the things. Okay, I guess. Hmm. Where do we want to go with this one? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, there's there's two ways you can view this movie. I think you can view this movie in and of itself of the movie and the story it's telling you, and and whether you're digging it or not digging it or kind of whatever the storytelling aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the big thing with this movie is its influences on future directors and future visual effects guys. Oh, and, for and, sure. And yeah. I think it has, I think it's right. So there's two ways you can view this movie. You can absolutely, and I'm sure we're going to get to a point where we're going to just start digging into it and certain things that oh, we yeah, didn't, we sure. didn't appreciate, but it doesn't discount, you know, just, just really, I'll give you one thing right off the top. So when Trumbull started this movie, he, uh, he hired college students for model making and special effects just to save time. And one of those people was John Dykstra, who is big time famous for the Raimi Spider-Man, Star Wars, a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. So yeah. You, you, you're it's just it's kind of almost like this is like this 
fertile ground. Oh man, that's terrible since what the movie's about. <laughs> Pun intended, I guess. Uh for, for people in the visual effects field, like the effects that they do when they go through the rings of Saturn mm-hmm. is an effect they tried to do in 2001, but couldn't do it because right, yep. the technology wasn't available, but they were able to do it for this movie. But on the flip side of that, this is clearly before the time they realized what the rings were made out of because they're just made out of rocks and ice. Oh, yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like so gas. that's like, not Whoa. happening because all I kept thinking about was, was it the second Star Trek when they were the new ones? Okay. When they redid the con storyline where they came up. Through the Star Wars, the Saturn rings, they, they were hiding there. Some of them, yeah, that that that's a great effect. But yeah. like, I just always I thought of that when I saw that when I saw him going through this psychedelic ring thing in this movie, and I was just like, mm. I mean, I get it, you don't know, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's I got confused for a second. I was like, wait, he's going through the rings or the atmosphere? Yeah, it was. I guess let's dig into the story then, and we'll go, we'll go to the. I've just given you a little bit of just kind of like the background behind it, but let's go into the story. So I'm watching it. And they're like, okay, hey, listen, you got to blow up your pods because why exactly? Yeah, it's it's not very clear. Hey, you have all these forests, but uh, we need these ships back to do freighter stuff. Uh, yeah. And like you have the desert area. They only show the jungle that he's in or the forest that he's in. And then the desert, they show one scene where the sand mm-hmm. with the lizards and stuff like yeah. that. And then they don't show anything else. But there's there's a, there's supposed to be like. Eight to nine big freighters out there. Eight to nine freighters, all named after different U.S. Uh, parks. state parks. And I would imagine that each biome has, you know, you know, each each biodome has a different biome from, you know, the United States of America at the very least. So you get your deserts, your forests, maybe yeah. forests, jungles, stuff like that. With with animals, yeah, with everything. bugs, with all that stuff. Earth and, is okay with this, and this they're just approved. like destroy it. Yeah. And so they don't ever tell you if they're destroying it because. Oh, Earth has been the flora and fauna have returned to to Earth and we don't need it anymore. Or like, eh, forget it. Who cares? It's not like it's not a successful mission. I think it's more like, eh, forget it. Who cares? That seems to be the notion is we don't need it. Because as Jesse says, you know, we've got everything we need. Right. You know, we there's no poverty. Everyone's got jobs. Everyone's got houses. Everyone's fed. Mm -hmm. So it might be crap. The world might be dead. Yeah. But people are happy. Right. So who cares? Yeah, not yeah. my problem. Which yeah. is not realistic, but that's a lot of things that are trying to be hyperbole or trying to teach you a lesson. Is like sometimes you get these extreme versions of, you know, like a Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. Right, episode. right. It's just like it's not going to get to that point. That's highly unrealistic. But I see where they're going. It's very clear that this movie is politically motivated in terms of what they're trying to say. Oh sure, yeah. Um, making a comment on climate change or social injustice or just kind of ruining the earth you know i mean freeman lowell bruce dern's character is pretty much like father of nature when he's walking around in that giant burlap that robe stupid jesus robe that he's got yeah um yeah i have notes gotta do gardening oh wait gotta change out of my astronaut outfit yeah. into my jesus robes uh so there's there's definitely and i don't mind movies that have messages like that or have a, a political tone to them that's fine mm-hmm. but there's a balance that you need to to have there in order for not to pull somebody out of the story you're saying. You need to give them a reason, right? Right, right, right. So I think that at times it digs into that a little bit more, and you're just it kind of pulls you out of the story, and you just start like, oh, I get it, I get it. You know, I guess the world stinks. I understand. <laughs> like it's a little bit too much. Yeah. And it it I don't the relationship between the four members. So not just. Um, so Freeman's character, excuse me, Lowell's character's first name is Freeman, which is Bruce Dern Lowell. 
and Keenan Barker and Wolf, all these guys, like, I don't even know if do they like each other? Like, it doesn't even seem like they like each oh, he other. He says later on, he goes, I don't know if I'd call them my friends. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. I, and like, I don't think you like them. They were awful to you. They, they were assholes. And they're, they're like talking about how when they decide that, okay, they're going to destroy everything. And they've got these, like, whatever these devices they're using, that they're supposed to be nuclear bombs. Mini nukes. And they're putting them in there. And they're like, ha laughing. And kill, like, you're killing all these animals. I mean, and then care. and they're talking to the people on the other ships. Like, oh, I can't wait to see the light show. But you're not looking when you're hitting the button. You're just boop. Okay, explosion. Yeah. And nuclear destruct. That's awfully violent. <laughs> I was thinking they're like, let's nuke them all. You can't just let the pods go. And like, if they survive, they survive. Or it's yeah, like extra work. It's like an extra step for no reason. And I don't really understand the plan here. So your the biodomes are supposed to be set up where you're out in space and you're growing everything, and that's fine. Why does it have to be in space? Why can't you just make the biodomes on Earth? Why did you have to leave the actual world itself? Not sci-fi enough. True. <laughs> um, or maybe they have to get out of Earth's atmosphere in order to grow anything. At that maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm probably going down a tangent there where it, it's, it's not helpful. They don't really set up the world enough. They mm -hmm. don't. You get these little bits and pieces. And a lot of people, you know, it's, it's kind of conjecture. Like even the storyline I said. Earth is completely devoid of all for flora and fauna. It's like, is it though? Yeah. They don't really say that. It's it's all conjecture. It's what you're getting out of the movie, but they don't tell you what Earth is yeah. like, really. They don't tell you what the rest of the world is like. You never see an advertisement for, mm -hmm. you know, like a TV ad from back on Earth, which mm -hmm. you would see. I would say, like, even something like an alien or aliens, they'd probably start peppering that in mm -hmm. as early as those kind of films where you get a little bit more of an established world well at least in aliens you get the idea uh, and that, and it actually oddly makes sense the way the aliens being at home feels like because she's in that like compartment compartmentalized apartment where everything's tight and mm -hmm. and yeah. so you get the idea that the outside's not great almost so you you kind of get some sense of what earth is like in that whole i guess yeah that whole uh world that they've created um, you have, yeah, you just get the idea. Like they're in space. The world sucks. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> We're making these forces to put back on earth yeah. at some point. Well, um, back to just their relationship. So it's clear that it's almost like they don't like, they don't like him. No one likes Lowell. Like they, they have, so these three guys are just responsible for the, the entire ship. Right. Oh, okay. And Lowell's only responsible for the domes. I got that. He's also a nurse. That's what I got out of it. Uh, right. But here's the thing. They have what? Like eight domes on on their on the ship on the Valley Forge. Do they have eight? Yeah, they have a lot. Because they he, like when six. He, well, what's he what regardless when he's in the forest, he, mm -hmm. he looks up every single time they shoot a dome into space and they right. blow it up. And they're walking and they only show like the other dome, which is the, the desert dome. But there's other domes that they're destroying. I thought well, that look, was the other ships well, destroying their domes. No, 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 no. Because when they are in the room with the buttons. Mm -hmm. There's got to be like nine buttons there when they're pushing the buttons to arm them and blow them up. Yeah. There's good. So my question is, he's responsible for all of those. He's yeah. responsible for cultivating life in all of those. What do those three other guys do? So there's a little bit of a gray area there, but also just in terms of their relationship, they don't, they clearly don't get along and then they play poker together and he's a jerk too. Like Lowell's a real ass. Lowell is, Lowell is not a likable character. And that's one of the issues with the, with the story is he's a he's quick to murder <laughs> everyone and he yeah. the first person he murders is the only person who has ever nice to him or tried to at least understand right, him right and 
Lowell never gave him a chance to understand. Lowell, mm-hmm. Lowell never gave him a chance to... Right. And it, it, it's very much Lowell's a terrorist. He's an eco-terrorist. He's also... I'm pretty sure you can probably make a case that he is that insane drone. because we haven't even talked about the drones. And we haven't talked about the personification of the drones in this movie. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <sighs> like, he's... So these these drones, which... I, I mean, I'll get... A, is... Obviously, when you watch this movie and you watch the drones, you're immediately thinking of Star Wars because you're thinking of the androids. But right. you have to remember this movie's five years before Star Wars. Now, I told you that Trumbull worked on a bunch of visual effects. Lucas approached Trumbull for his blessing because he wanted to create characters, wanted to create a robot similar to the drones, which actually became R2-D2. Yep. And so just quick backstory. About, and I thought Trumbull was like, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Obviously, he said, go for it. Yep. But quick backstory there. So in 1978, Fox sued Universal because they claimed that Battlestar Galactica was a ripoff of Star Wars. So they got sued. Right. So then Universal, to retaliate that suing, countersued Fox and said that, okay, well, then Star Wars ripped off Silent Running because of the drone (laughs) thing. So even though it gave him his blessing, the two companies did kind of like go back and forth at each other, which is not not surprising. You know, I'm sure that happens all the time. So so before you kind of give it, if you ever see this movie and give it a negative, like, oh, that's just Star Wars. It's not. Silent Running came right. first. You can't really give it the no knock on it there. But they do personify the drones in there a little too much to the point where he's like reprogramming them, talking to them, having emotional relationships with them. He's really good at reprogramming them for the botanist. He's yeah, a pretty good engineer. I, I, well. Yeah, when he was <laughs> when he was putting the big giant, they look like Easy Bake Oven uh <laughs> uh, handled with that cartridges with the handles and he's and he's severing the whatever he's doing where he's like I'm going to reprogram you know he's basically just cutting a line to a, a chip or something like he's that he's basically redoing the circuits yeah right so he's While reading he, an instruction manual right uh, yeah so he's doing all that and he's talking to them and, he, and he, you're going to respond to the name of Huey and Dewey and all that stuff and then he tries to have he has them he gets hurt when he fights the guy right Apparently, yeah, what looked like a smack in the leg with the shovel was really a gash in the leg. Well, the yeah, so he reprograms them because they're going to do surgery. And all I'm thinking as they're doing it, I'm like, so what are they? And uh, granted, this is 1972. So you just <laughs> see these like really weird arms coming in, holding and clearly not doing anything. Uh, not smooth and putting gauze down and, and they're essentially just stitching up a wound. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, you couldn't have done that? Right. <laughs> I, I'm just like, mm. and also you needed that much ether to get through it? Yeah, it was yeah. down on something. It was a little much. It was a little, I mean, I thought he, I thought they were doing some kind of massive, like, cutting it. There was something going on in his leg. He had to have ACL re- repaired or something like that. Gonna need a robot leg. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little too much. It was How'd you like that super red paint? I love. I always love sixties, seventies uh, blood, fake blood. That's awesome. That's over. The bright blood is the best, and they're wearing their corduroy overalls, and oh, it's 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 always the best. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just filmmaking of the time. But speaking of that, um, one of the things that uh, one of my notes here is is, and I, I want to know if you agree with this or what you think. There is a style to sixties and seventies sci-fi that's unmatched uh, by future generations of filmmakers, future sci-fi. Like it's, it's not realistic, but it's fascinating how it looks like in terms of like, we just talked about the cartridges with the, Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the big keyboards and just the, even like a little bit in star Wars, they have it just the, the sets and everything. Like I don't moving forward. I don't, you don't, I don't see that. I don't see something so 
stark where like if I watch something in the eighties or the nineties or even now where I'm like, I can pinpoint the time period when that was made. And I'm talking about Mm sci-fi, but if I watch something in the sixties and seventies, I'm like, Oh, okay. I get that. I see that. And I don't know if that's just because I've seen more of those movies or I don't know how you uh, uh, feel about that. It just, it just seems like there's just a style there that's never been duplicated. And it's just something that is so, it's just so specific of that time period in sci-fi. I will say that the, the look of sci-fi in terms of, of the, buildings they're in the ships they're in the products they use the props those are they have been replicated before within the 80s and 90s but those are movies that specifically purposely call back to that mm-hmm. movies like any alien sequels that have come out or prometheus or something like that where it's like let's make it look like that right but yes in terms of anything sci-fi now they'd never do that they don't cobble together pieces that actually exist now and give you this lived in kind of scary sci-fi mm-hmm. even even a movie like this which is not really scary and another thing that they do in those 60s and 70s about style-wise is they make space not, I mean, pretty, but also vast and scary. Any shots of space in there is very dark. It's very stark. I mean, that could just be because they don't have a lot of special effects to add all these star fields and all that stuff. But in, in real life, space wouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. And space is cold and dark and and quiet in you know 2001, 2010, silent running, somewhat star wars although they're always fighting and doing some yeah stuff. yeah an alien it's always this quiet the first alien the first yeah. one yeah yeah, yeah. yep it's yep. just those mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. even a big score as mm-hmm. these giant ships go through and that's mm-hmm. yeah in terms of that that's completely unmatched one of the things i loved in this movie is uh one of the first shots of the drones when i think it's dewey the uh dewey's the orange one right no Dewey. he was no, the Huey's orange the one so huey's on valley forge and another ship is one of the other ships is coming by them and you pan up on mm-hmm. him standing on the top of the valley forge while seeing the other ship pass by mm-hmm. while this light beams down on him and i thought that shot was incredible mm-hmm. for 1972 that's all model work too yeah and it's yeah. like you see that now and you're just like oh man like you said that looks like star wars that looks like this mm-hmm. or that it's like yep but that no that looks like silent running mm-hmm. like that is an amazing shot to do like you said, 50, 40, 50 years ago. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's, that, that, that's a credit to model making too and the model work. And just, I mean, there's just something, I don't know. I Maybe I'm old, but there's more, <laughs> something more exciting about just the idea that there's a giant room and there's guys in there building these intricate models and they're just designing these shots and you would just have this camera slowly. You know what I mean? It's just oh, yeah, there's it's something real. tangible yeah. to it. Yeah. I mean, and, I don't think it's yeah. lit very well. No. Well, I think it's like you yeah, can super tell it's model. Well, it's, it's also yeah. 1972. So. And you also have a first time director. So you probably don't have somebody who is probably more attuned to the, the actual look of it and how to get it, what they want to do in get terms of model making special yeah. things, but not really just lighting style, which you got to start somewhere. So who cares? So I'm not going to make that. That's not a knock. It's just, you know, that's maybe you had, that's part of a reason why you don't, the lighting's not great. One of the things I noticed about these ships is while I'm watching it, I'm like, these biodomes look like the biodome ships that were in uh, Battlestar Galactica, the new one on the sci-fi channel. Yeah. And then I read that they actually used these ships mm-hmm. for the Battlestar Galactica series in yeah. the uh, late 70s, early 80s. The inside of the Valley Forge is actually a decommissioned Essex-class aircraft carrier that mm-hmm. they used. So they went to the, they just shot everything there, they designed it, and then they, I think they, they kind of destroyed it. After it was that. a decommissioned ship, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, so I thought that was, that was, that was another intriguing aspect of this movie, uh, of just the, the production of the movie is what I'm trying to say. I like the... American Airlines and the AMF stuff mm. on the on all the the containers within the ship, all of Lowell's badges and um, mm. patches on his uh, astronaut uniform. 
Mm-hmm. All those kind of add to this realism that, again, you see a lot in movies like Alien Now and all that of like, hey, they're real companies in this future, or Blade Runner even. Look at Ad Astra. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and like, it's like, all that Ad Astra is a good comparison to like Silent, like Silent Running. Yeah. Well, especially like when he's on the moon, you just see Hudson News and, and that's like, that's 100% more believable that that's going to, that that'll, that'll be happening. That you'll have a moon base when mm-hmm. you, when you go off to somewhere else, to Mars, like absolute and Hudson news will be there and American airlines and all these people and the corporations and private sector will be there. That is a hundred percent more believable than something that's altruistic. Like we're going off to space and, and we're going to, for the country F that no <laughs> one's that's, I mean, I, that's an awesome idea. That's a great idea to have, but that's not what's going to happen. Well, th- I think, Something like that when you're talking about like something, I'm sure you're taking a dig at like Star Trek is like that's like 500 years in the future. But yeah, that's in, way in the future. You're, you're, yeah, your initial space I'm talk- stuff. I'm yeah. talking about immediate. I'm talking like 100. Yeah. When no, you're no, when no. you're talking like an immediate future, yeah. you can't discount the private sector or the creature comforts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of films do. I often I mean, you could probably speak to this more than I can. But about the Star Trek universe, I, I enjoy Star Trek because it's more something that I feel like is more realistic in the, in the distant future. Mm-hmm. But do they ever have stuff in Star Trek that deals with corporations versus the Federation, that kind of stuff? Occasionally. Yeah. Like yeah. the Federation doesn't use money, although then they do use money. So it's always, <laughs> it's always very like, Oh, there's no th- such thing as money. It's, I think your essentials are provided for you, but you still get Federation credits. Uh, but credits, no, man, they always, a lot of, especially in next generation episodes and deep space nine gets into it. There are even humans in places on earth that don't really, not adhere to the Federation, but they're separate from the Federation. So they are their own businesses who conduct jobs and try to make latinum and money and credits or whatever it is. But not corporations, like gi- not giant behemoths. Federation is the biggest and by by yeah, far. Yeah, for for humans, I don't remember them ever having a corporation, but I know that other alien species definitely have like corporations and stuff like that, right? And run huge companies. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Well, that's our Star Trek uh, tangent for the for the yeah. episode. <laughs> Um, well, talking about the drones, so they lose the first drone or the third drone, drone number three. Yeah, Louis should have kept walking. Yeah, drone three, an American hero. Um, so that that was what was weird to me when it started because I thought he kind of gives the drones humanity or like more people, like emotions. But Louis clearly was afraid to move when they're going through Jupiter and and was too afraid to get out of there. Yeah, so it's like wait, so the drones already had emotion. Yeah, I the drones aren't really fleshed out i guess they could have um, done a little bit more with yeah. the drones but like when he reprograms them and they're gonna just plant trees and then he teaches them how to plant the tree and they're like doing it wrong and i'm just like what, what do we need a slapstick scene here for that they can't uh, <laughs> like i'm like uh, it, that was that was a little bit too much i, I didn't i didn't like that i wasn't, okay. I wasn't it's, it's rated that. g so i was okay with that i didn't like when he ran over huey yeah i i didn't get that i did <laughs> i just Maybe we're not supposed to connect with him. I don't think we are because toward the end he becomes the like the people that he didn't like. He, he, well, he goes off to decide to kill himself, and he makes a decision that you just can't do it, Huey. You can't, you can't go on and 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 work. Dewey's gonna have to take care of the pot himself. It's like, well, why don't you just reprogram Dewey to fix Huey, and you don't have to worry about that. Like yeah, you don't was, even. Eh. Well, there might not be extra parts for Huey. Well, what was in the giant space pods when they're driving around the warehouse? Well, he knocked one down and it was dirt. It's probably all stuff for the biomes for the most part. But I can't imagine they don't have some kind of repair kits for the drones. And those bulbs that he installs because he realized because the, the what happens to bulbs? The, the, forest, <laughs> the forest is dying and he doesn't understand why. And then he discovers that, oh, 
crap, we're on the dark side oh, of Saturn. Yeah. Uh, so he's a botanist, right? Yeah. And he's like, why the forest dying? I can't figure it out. Microscopes and tests and all this. Oh, I've been here for days trying to figure out the forest is dying. Oh, yeah. Plants need sun. <laughs> but regardless of that, plants need sun. So they're already flying out. They're already by Saturn, right? They're they're. I don't understand why they're so far away. They're from so Earth. far. The sun is super weak. Why aren't they closer to the sun? Why, why don't they even have lights set up anyways? But regardless, he gets the he just he makes a decision. That, oh, no, I need to get these giant lamps installed. You'll be fine. Do you have any backups? They're going to blow out. They're going to burn out. Are they infinite lamps? Why? Why don't you just send the biodome to like, why don't you just send it to one of the other planets and have it sit there? I, I just there's not just so many things I have. This film feels like it's based on a novel. Did you get the, that that sense? Uh, I know it's not, but it I feels guess, like yeah. it's based on a novel because there's so much unexplained that I feel is explained somewhere else. I think they want to talk about how the earth stinks and people stink and we need to make our own forest and, and, but you know what? We'll yeah. always be jerks in the end. And that's all that I, like I, the I, message. I get the yeah. themes. No, that I think that's what yeah, kind of, yeah. Even Lowell ends up going and uh, becomes kind of his own worst. Dad. He starts eating that crap food. He starts, you know, playing around in the carts, knocking down containers of dirt and stuff that's meant for the biome. Right. But even still, I get the themes. I get what they're going for. I just don't think that the universe, I feel like they as writers knew exactly the reasons that everything was happening and exactly what was going to happen, what would happen after the end of the, when the credits roll, what is going on on earth. They had it all figured out. Yeah. And the movie's only 89 minutes. That's yeah. Like they you, probably cut a lot out. Yeah. There's gotta be a, a longer cut or a longer script. Well, I wonder like, as you had the two writers named Bochco coming in, I wonder if Bochco just kind of trimmed it and then it was just kind of like made changes and, and all that. All, you know what I mean? It didn't bother to, they just cut stuff out and didn't bother to go back and explain it. Well, did you read about the original version of the script? No, no, no. Go ahead. So in the original version of the script, it's it's all very similar, but there are aliens in the script. Oh, boy. So Lowell's character is not so great. He's like an old curmudgeon. He's a much older character. He's kind of a curmudgeon. The freighters are going to be scrapped because they're just so old. So they want to blow the domes. And Lowell's character doesn't want to go to Earth and be forced into retirement. Oh, I think I read this. Go ahead. So he just on. steals the Valley Forge goes through Saturn's ring to make it look like the ship's destroyed and goes into deep space. He still reprograms the robots, blah, blah, blah. All the plants are dying. He tries to fix them up and he gets a signal in deep space from aliens. And so he wants to go to the aliens and make first contact, be the first one to meet aliens would be so cool. Mm -hmm. So he's going to meet contact with the aliens. And by doing that, he exposes himself and the uh, American airlines, whatever the company is, was like, Hey, our ship's still here. Let's go get that ship back goes to try to get him in the end he realized he's going to be captured won't reach the aliens in time so he jettisons the pod with the drones blows himself up the drones float off into space the aliens capture the biome okay the aliens go into the biome and meet huey dewey and louie and one of the drones which doesn't know how to communicate with the aliens brings out a polaroid picture that lowell had taken with his three drones like a family photo <laughs> And so the aliens just get this photo and look around at this biome. And that was the end of the movie. Blow it. <laughs> <laughs> so I almost wonder if, and this was obviously an early version of the script, but I almost wonder if they had to cut down stuff or had to remake the script maybe several times because of the amount of money they were given. Oh, maybe because it's only $1 million budget, but that's big for back then. Well, did you read that? It was one of five films that had four or five films that were given the $1 million so budget. This movie was yeah after the success of easy rider. This movie was one of five that Universal decided to let like young filmmakers make like semi-independent films where they gave them 
you know, they, they went off and, and they did their, their movies. This was one of the movies. The other movies was The Hired Hand by Peter Fonda. The last movie by Dennis Hopper, Taking Off by Milos Forman, and then American Graffiti by George Lucas. So this <laughs> Silent Running is one of the movies, is the only movie that probably nobody really knows who Douglas Trumbull is, except with somebody within the industry or somebody who follows visual effects. Right. Because these other four people are obviously... You got two famous actors and you got two famous directors in in the beginning of their prime. Yeah, it's kind of not fair. Their, like, let's yeah. make indie bo- movies, but you're not giving it to indie people. You're giving it to now. You're giving it to established. Well, these guys. Like no, that. back then though, these people are are indie people. These George, no one. George Lucas. He's coming off of THX eleven thirty eight. So they're probably like, hey, he, he's got this script for American Graffiti. Let's just let's give it to him. Go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, you give Dennis Hopper a movie. I mean, yeah, but Dennis Hopper know. is is not. He's he, not who he, he was. Just now. came off of uh, what. Yeah, but he's he's directing this movie. That's true. Okay. You know, it's not like this is probably before like actor wants to direct. I want to see yeah. now. But I mean, a million dollars might be a lot for a movie like uh, even American Graffiti. Maybe not because it's got a lot of cars, but true. definitely not too much for like the hired hand. The last movie we're taking off. That's a that's a decent amount of money. Yeah. But for silent running with so many effects, so many models, so many uh, locations that they shot in to like create the effect of being in that dome, mm-hmm. creating part of the dome in general, mm-hmm. like the stream he has to skinny dip in at the beginning mm-hmm. for because it's hippie like i don't know why he has to skinny dip in the water that's uh, uh, i don't know which what? apparently wasn't heated and was it was ice freezing cold ice cold. swimming in it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but i almost wonder if they were like oh man this is a three million dollar movie or this is a two million dollar movie and it's like they kept having it all right let's cut out this part let's cut out this part let's cut out this part all right we can still get the music guy she agreed to do it for a lower rate uh, cause her movie it'll be on the screen so she's cool with that so we still have her well then mm-hmm. we're gonna have to cut this part out still all right I think that because Trumbull came off of 2001, I think they probably were super excited about it. But I think the message of this movie gets ahead of the storytelling. And like you said, you miss you stuff's been cut out. Stuff's not making sense. And there's a, there's a big issue with just the likability of any of the actors in the movie. Like even the dude on the ship that's on the Berkshire. Yeah. So he's just like, well, we all want to get out of here, man. We all just want to leave. And he's just like, I'm trying as fast as I can. And then he comes back and he goes, yeah, we just we figured it out. Like, cause he's clearly lying. Lowell's lying that he, they're having an issue to kill to to blow one of the domes. Everyone else is blowing all their domes, all the other ships. And the Berkshires, I guess, is the the lead ship. Mm-hmm. So yep. the guy in the Berkshires trying to like, let's go. We just want to go home. We just want to go home. And so Lowell tells him, "Is like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're torching the pins." And then like a second later, he's like, yeah, "How's it going?" Yeah. It's like, dude, I, he just told you they're torching <laughs> the pins. How long do you think that takes? So there's like even even the guy on the radio you don't like. So there's. I, there's, I don't like anybody in this movie. I don't yeah, even like guy, the drones. That guy went back to Saturn to try to find them. Yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> hey, man, we're not a hey, good buddy. We're not going to give up on you. Go away. We're not going to give up on you. Well, I'm going to have to yeah. kill myself then. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the shot, he's just like staring out the window as it's pulling away. It's like, okay. And I'm just, I'm thinking of Huey going, this, he didn't choose this. This drone didn't choose this. <laughs> <laughs> I felt kind of bad for the drones. I felt like they were like, oh my God, this guy. Like they were just yeah. stuck with this. Guy well, that's the thing, it. though. Are they drones? Are they do they have um, are they robots? Or do they have feelings? Do we know their feelings? I mean, I don't. They seem like they have when they're talking to each other and they're doing their little vent thing. He's like, what do I say? You don't talk to us. He's trying to play poker with them. Uh, I definitely feel like the drones have a person. They definitely care for each other. Right. And that's what I got. So I was a little like I was like, oh, that's too bad when Dewey and Huey had to separate. It's like. Dude, they don't like you, dude. Yeah, they like each other. Like, keep them together. When he's playing <laughs> poker with them and they're talking to each other, and then he's like, he tells them, "Don't cheat." Now it's like you just looked at his cards before you yeah, cheated. Exactly. It's, it, it's there's a lot of stuff in here that I'm just I wasn't like huge on. Um, 
And uh, we should say that the drones are actually played by people, um, people who uh, lost limbs and they were actors and they were like inside yeah. the drone. So we should, we should mention that too. So those are, there are actually people inside those, what you could tell when right. they walk in. Um, but I would assume that people with no arms and stuff like that, which is, you know, which is, you know, it's great. It's, but I just, the, the whole idea of the drones and just their interactions with him, they just, I don't know. Like I think the people in and of itself in the movie, like I said, I don't like, I, I I don't really like Freeman at all, or Lowell, excuse me, Freeman Lowell at all. He's very tough to like. I don't like the three other dudes. I don't like the dude on the radio. So there's nothing for me to like in terms of there's no one for me to root for. I know I'm supposed well, I'm supposed to root for the rabbits. Yeah, I was rooting for the rabbits. I mean, that was pretty much it. <laughs> and then these guys are like killing them. I'm just like, mm, come on. Planting the nuke right next to the bunny rabbit. Bunny rabbit's like, what's that, guys? <laughs> New food? Oh, no. So the scene <laughs> when, Free, uh, when Lowell is talking about he's doing the eulogy. Oh, yeah. And he's crying. And that's a Bruce Dern had lost a child like maybe a couple years earlier to a freak accident. So there's a mention in a lot of the notes that talk about how he was using that emotion in that scene, which is great. And that's, you know, that's some people do that. And and his emotion was true. But what bugs me about that scene is that he's he's out of focus, focus the entire his left eye is the only thing in focus. And so the person who the director of photography, whoever not the not it's I'm not gonna blame the cinematographer. It's probably the person who's on focus. Focus is the left eye, and that's it. Now, I'm sure there's an argument out there where it's like, well, Mike, that's how it was done. This is the 70s. That's what they did. Okay, that's fine. But he is out of focus He's in, really the, in out that of focus. scene. Yeah. I mean, I get that you want to do soft focus sometimes, yeah. but that is soft, 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 soft focus. Right. And if I'm if if you if somebody's gonna talk about film and they're gonna give somebody in 2020 a hard time about focus and what it looks like, there should be no reason why I can't make a comment about a movie that's 50 years old. And you know what I mean? Like focus is important no matter exactly, when you get it, from exactly. you know, great train robbery up to today. Yeah, it is out of focus. Out of focus. And that's and it's like that's the one scene where he's delivering this hard emotion that you're like, you want to connect with him. And it's you can't because you're just all you're sitting there going, why is he soft? <laughs> it's the only scene that connects. That's the only bit you get with Lowell that connects to his choosing suicide at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. It is the only connection. And then you blow it with that focus. Yeah, that that was a little bit too much. <laughs> Not as much as when he got mad because he was the only one that wanted to serve the cantaloupe. But yeah. when they're eating and he's just like, I'll get you some cantaloupe. No, sit down, sit down. Hey, don't ask Lowell for a slice. I'd be delighted to give you a slice of that game. Just sit down and shut up. Sit down, sit down, sit down. And shut up and leave me alone, all of you. Now let me eat. Hey, now, what's the big deal? I can't see the difference between that and this anyway. You don't see the difference? The difference is that I grew it. That's what the difference is. That I picked it and I fixed it. And it has a taste and it has some color. That's why it's like he's he's definitely got issues. Yeah. But also he's I feel like he's been bullied the whole time on the ship. I know. So it's like screw you, you didn't get any fruit. But again, that just goes to. Well, just, they're eating rice krispie treats. So are they, is that what they're eating? Well, one of those is rice krispie. They're like, like foam. No, please, those are cut up pieces of loaf bread that they made. <laughs> this is this is what's in the future. Everything's cubed. Oh yeah. <laughs> Also, I like how they have the shot of all the dinner plates and stuff all over the ship. Like he's been there for obviously days and days and mm-hmm. days and days. Mm-hmm. And the control room has a ton of plates. Next shot, he's being woken up by uh, the Berkshire waking him up. He goes back to the control room. Not a plate or cup in sight. <laughs> yes. The drones. He programmed the drones to clean. No script, script supervisors in uh, 1972. <laughs> I see. No um, so we, I, we've brought up a bunch of stuff in terms of what it 
this movie kind of like I we started off saying how this movie could be taken different ways or its influences and and the actual storytelling of itself. Another influence that this movie had on was for Joel Hodgson, who was a creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I know you've seen that. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't seen it out there, that's a show where they they have old movies that are terrible and they just make fun of them. But but the the premise of the show is that these this guy is uh is stuck on ship with these robots. Oh, and he's I off get- into space, and then they all and what they do is they send him movies to watch. So that's kind of where he got this inspiration from, which is you know I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. That's cool. It also it also influences the creators of Red Dwarf, which I've never seen, which is a show on the BBC by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. Um, which is uh, this movie has, has an influence on that as well. I've never got into Red I've Dwarf. I've never seen Red Dwarf either, which uh, shame on me for being a huge sci-fi fan. Yeah. Apparently, it's it's fantastic. But yeah, I've not watched. It's any a, of it. it's like Doctor Who, right? It's a long show, right? It's like it's been on for a while. It's uh, it I don't know if it's still on, it, it's, but, it, but yeah. it's been on. For I think a while. they restarted it, but I don't think that even the reboot is still on. But yeah, yeah, okay. It was on for a while. Yeah, it was a BBC show. So, so th- this this movie does have a like we said, it has a lot of influences. You got Lucas, you got. Um, you know, obviously Star Star Trek, Blade Runner, because you know, because Trumbull moves on from here. Close Encounters, Alien, Alien. Yeah, it 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 has a lot of tentacles moving forward in the future in terms mm-hmm. of what it inspired. But when you look at and and for that, that's fantastic. That's great that this movie was kind of like a jumping off point for a lot of people. But when you look at the storyline in and of itself, it's just it's really tough to. I'm, I'm I can't sit here and be like, oh man. I can't suggest this movie to somebody like, like cause it's just, it's boring. It's I can boring suggest and it doesn't make any sense. It's not that long. And if you're bored, uh, I mean, you might as well, if you're a big sci-fi fan and while I was watching this movie, we had talked a while ago about how, if a film has pieces of it that are really good and it deserves a better chance it should be remade. I think the whole time I was watching this, I was like, this can be remade. It could be. This can be remade today. It's got a lot of themes that still hit home, a lot of themes that you can still explore, a lot of new themes that you can explore within the same storyline. You can flesh out characters. You can remake characters. It's got to be action, though. There's got to be some action in it. He's got like four other guys. He's got. I'm just. I'm. I'm saying like it's not. It wouldn't be able to be so heavy handed, uh, in terms of the the. The message. Oh, it can't be quite as cerebral, yeah. yeah. But it can still, it can still try to carry that message. Can still be a little more exciting. But I still think you can do this film in a way that audiences would enjoy, and that you can explore the world that they fail to explore mm-hmm. a little bit better. What about if you just not, you don't remake it, but you tell a story aboard another ship in in the in the fleet. Oh, so it's just like silent running it, too. It is kind of, <laughs> but you you're you're telling you're using that same universe, but you're telling a different story. I'm okay with that too, because yeah. then you can get fans of the original, and then people will be like, "Hey, it's not because you, know, you know." I think audiences eat that shit right up right now. Yeah, now yeah, it is. Yeah. They'll be like, "Oh, it's it's a uh, it's a reimagining of the story, but taking it on a different ship. So it's not completely destroying the original. Right. It's just bringing brand new. But really, it's but it's, it, it's but I'm not no because I don't want to I don't want to do like the thing remake slash reboot, which was. The different camp, but the first the camp, story, but it was yeah. the same friggin' story, right? But no, absolutely, you can do that. Yeah, to have it take place on the Yosemite or something like that. Yeah, and just kind of, you don't have to watch the first movie to understand this, but it might help you, like, just get a background of what you're watching. You can even have some of the dialogue from the first one of Lowell talking to yeah to Berkshire, 
while the Yosemite can, is going maybe back toward Earth, going, can, we're getting these pods on Earth. You can have you, yeah, but you can also have maybe you can get on board the Berkshire and like we've got a problem with we've got a problem with Valley Forge now we've got a problem with Yosemite like that kind of thing. Yeah. So you could you maybe can do something within that. That might be something that might be interesting to to see or to write or to be part of. So if anyone's out there, you want me to like right, let's get, let's get going. It. Let's get Listen. going. I got loads of time. Time to turn off this podcast and start writing. Let's go. <laughs> Writer's room. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, as always, we appreciate the suggestions. So it's something that, you know, we're into and we like doing movies that we didn't talk about. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I like that. Um, I saw a film that kind of influenced so many other films that I enjoy. I right. thought that was cool. Okay. So, yeah. So we'll be back next week. Obviously we're going to be doing the, I mean, I, unless you had more stuff to talk no, about. No, that was it. Writing. I think we covered all. Unless you wanted to sing some of the Joe Baez song. I don't Honestly, I started writing. That's when I went to my Excel sheet and started putting my notes in for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we next week are doing a movie that uh, I, I don't remember seeing this. But I think I did, but I can't remember it. We're doing yeah. a movie uh, that was suggested to us by Chris Frodell from Arguing With Myself blog. You can find him on, on Twitter as Arguing With Myself. We'll give him all the shout outs next week as well. But uh, he has suggested to us the movie 1114. So we are going to be doing that movie next week as we that is our episode nine for this uh, season five audience choice. We'll wrap it up soon, Butler. Ooh. I know, right? We're going to have to start picking our season six. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's our pick. So that's our pick, people. Yeah. But we've you done, feel free done, to suggest. We've done enough of your movies. No. <laughs> um, but thanks again for the suggestion, Ms. Butler. And that's Mrs. Butler. Excuse me. That's uh. We we both enjoyed revisiting the seventies and and we always we like older films. I I, I could do an entire season of the seventies. Oh, I would need to break at some point. No, I I, I could do it. I I appreciate them once in a while, but not 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 for too long. <laughs> I'm not a child of well, the seventies. Well, I, I I like the notes where you're we're we're seeing like the inspiration for future movies and just kind of like the old people that have worked on stuff. That is really cool. That that stuff is pretty cool. I mean, this is probably the earliest I've ever seen Bruce Dern in a movie. I've never seen coming home, which I should. I told Elise when uh, we were watching this, I was like, it's young Bruce Dern. I've never seen a young Bruce Dern. Yeah. For those who don't know Bruce Dern, like we talked about, he's in Nebraska. He's in the hateful lady. He's also the father of Laura Dern. So if you're, if you know who Laura Dern is, then, you know, there's a connection there. So mm-hmm. hopefully you know who Laura Dern is. Cause she's a good actress. So we did, we did, we did, did, we did. there we go. Done. We did blue velvet in season two, <laughs> season two. Yeah, nice. So check that out. But anyways, so I think we're done. Uh, thanks again uh, for the suggestion and join us next week for 1114. And um, yeah. Visit us on Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Uh, I always forget to po- I always forget to do this. I know. I know. I know I'm terrible. Visit us on Forgotten Cinema Podcast.com where you can listen to all our old episodes, including Blue Velvet. Uh, there's a link to all those there. Uh, you can also hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever podcasts can be found. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please share this with your friends. It's the that's the best way to help our podcast grow. We've also got a merch store if you want to, you know, walk around with our billboard on on your nice. chest or your laptop, stickers, leggings, whatever you need. We got it. <laughs> yeah. So ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. Join us on social medias. Uh, you can email us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast at gmail.com to give us more su- suggestions. Like he said, we've got to choose for season like he six. Said like, <laughs> like Mike said, we got to choose for season six. So we just because this was audience choice doesn't mean we won't right. take suggestions. Absolutely not. Absolutely. So thanks again, guys. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. This has been Forgotten Cinema. All the flora and fauna have died 
I'm wearing my burlap sack. Projector bulbs are in UV rays. <laughs> Gonna kill you with this shovel. Rusty shovel. Not even a good shovel. Not even big. Ugh. <laughs> 